We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages and inspires you. For more information, head to lifepointwithane.org.au. Culture. So we're in the middle of, as we discover, what is the aroma? What's the smell of LifePoint? Have you ever stood on the sideline or in a stand or watched on TV a sporting match on a field or a court and you're utterly convinced that you knew how to ref better than the one on the field? You couldn't believe all the mistakes they were making. They were obviously biased. They didn't know the rules. It was like watching an amateur ref the game. They would have been far better off calling you up, giving you the whistle, and letting you add it. It doesn't really take, you don't really take into consideration that they've been training for years and years. They probably grew up playing the sport from a little tacker, living and breathing it the whole time. They probably have debriefs with other referees or overarching organizations that look after the referees. That doesn't matter because in that moment, what you believe is that you deserve the whistle and not them. And what you're instinctively doing is withholding honor. You're withholding honor. Honor is when you place value on something or someone. Honor is when you lift up. Honor is when you respect someone or something. We give Australia Day Honor Awards to those who have done phenomenal things in an environment and their sphere of influence and expertise. And we lift them up. We value their contribution. We respect them for what they've done. But it's interesting in 1 Peter 2.17, it says this, show proper, that next word respect in Greek is the same as honour, show proper honour to everyone. Everyone. Lift up everyone. Value everyone. Give respect to everyone. What would it look like here at Life, like here at LifePoint if we chose to give honor to everyone? Not just the people who hold the whistle, but everyone. There's a story in the book of Mark in the first chapter where Jesus has some challenges with honor. And there's a group of people who don't feel like Jesus has the right to hold the whistle. He doesn't have the right to receive honor. In Mark 1.1 1, 1, it says this, Jesus looked to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him, catch this, were amazed. Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that's been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas? And Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. I find this passage so interesting. When you look at the transition of attitudes that this group of people from Jesus' hometown go from amazement to offense in just a short period of time. Verse 2, Jesus preaching up a storm. They are mesmerized by Jesus' teaching. He's performing some miracles. They can't get enough of him. 
They're amazed. At the end of verse 2, they start chatting amongst themselves. How? How did he, where did he get that wisdom from? How did he perform that miracle? Why is he so amazing? Then in verse 3, it goes to, wait, 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 is he Mary's son? Well, we, we know his brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, Simon. There's his sisters over there. Isn't he just a carpenter? And by the time that this group of people have finished gossiping about Jesus, they've gone from being amazed to being offended. And it's important, that word offended there in the Greek is not Jesus has offended them, but more so that the response they're about to give Jesus is offensive, is actually sinful. So gossip has gone from gossiping about him to a behavior that is about to be sinful. Catch this. It's really hard to honor someone when you're gossiping about them. It's really hard to value someone when you're chatting about them behind their backs. It's really hard to lift them up and to show respect when you're gossiping. In fact, the opposite's going to happen, that you are going to be offended in that you are going, it's going to cause you a behavior that will cause offense. You will end up being the sinner, not the person you're gossiping about. In Year 12 High School, I was the vice captain. And it was a position that I took very, very seriously. School of about 1,300 students. We had 30 to 36 uh, captains, vice captains, senior prefects, and then a big body of prefects uh, uh, added to the team around that. And I was vice captain. And as vice captain, I had certain authority to do certain things. And uh, in that prefect body, one of the things you could do is you could spend all your time in our prefect room. And the prefect room was beautiful. It had our own uh, storage facilities. It had a fridge that was full of drinks that we could access any time. It had lounges that we could enjoy. So at morning tea, lunchtime, before school, we could hang out in the prefect's room. And that would be pretty sweet. But I felt from early on that the role as vice captain or prefect was a servant role. And that uh, it was a role that we lead by example for the rest of the student body. And so what I'd organized with and got permission from one of the overarching teachers was I was going to encourage our prefect body on a Tuesday to pick up papers from the playground. Now, like any school ground, lots of papers, it just people couldn't be bothered. And I thought, you know, what a great way to show servant leadership on this team, that we can go around, we can lead by example, that this is what the school grounds, doesn't take a lot of effort to pick up paper, put it in the bin. So I'm excited. Let's go, let's go pick up papers. Do you think the rest of the prefect body was excited? And I remember the murmurs around that occasion on that Tuesday lunch. Briny, are you sure? Like, there's plebs that we can, we can ask plebs to do that. There's little year seven kids that we can scare into to do that. There's a whole bunch in room 302 over there who are on, like, detention. We could get them to do that. And then there's the rumors of, like, is that within Bryony's role description that he can get us to go pick up papers? And so I remember teetering on two emotions, confidence to push through and fear to give up. Confidence to push through or fear to give up. And so somehow we managed to get all 36 out into the oval, and some were at least faking their enthusiasm to pick up papers. 
And then there was others who just clearly weren't even faking their enthusiasm to pick up papers. And they just got in the end and chatted amongst themselves. And I was feeling a little bit deflated, I must confess. This was going to be an awesome opportunity. And that was until Phil came behind me. I talk about Phil often. He's in my online connect group that we've been going for years. And Phil was the guy at school that everybody loved. Everyone thought Phil was the best. And Phil came behind me as I'm just watching this group of people, either fake or not even fake their enthusiasm, and he slaps me on the back and says, Bryony, this is such a good idea. Walks past me, starts picking up papers, and enthusiasing the rest of the team to pick up papers. And in that moment, fear disappeared, and confidence grabbed hold of me. And we, that small moment of honor, of Phil honoring my leadership, of Phil honoring my decision, gave me the courage I need not to pick up papers just that Tuesday. Oh no, we picked up papers every Tuesday for the rest of the year. Just because one person honored me. That's all I needed was one person to honor me. Honor when you give it to somebody. I mean, Phil says this again and again and again. We're all leaders, right? Whether you're senior pastor position or you're the leader of a team or you're a person that helps an idea go from here to there or you're a person that helps get something better or a system, tweak a system that makes it more efficient, that makes you a leader. That makes you a person of influence. And you too, like me, need courage to lead. It takes courage to present an idea. It takes fortitude to stick your neck out and suggest a direction. And when someone shows you honor, it gives you wings. When someone places a value on your idea or who you are, value on your leadership, on your risk take, places value on your faith, when they lift you up, when they show you respect, and you can fly. Not just today, but you can, you can fly for a long time on that one person's choice to honor. Because honor is not something you can demand. It's not something you can take. People give it to you. And when you and I choose to give people honor, we give them the courage and the fortitude and the tenacity to listen to the whispers of the Spirit and step out into faith into that which He's calling them. And in those moments where they could have been grabbed by fear and given up, your honor gives them the courage to push through. Honor is such an important value, such an important culture to have in a community like this. Well, Jesus, though, experiences gossip. But I think the people of Jesus' hometown, I don't think they understood that the more you get to know someone, the more grace it's going to take in order to show them honor. The more you know somebody, the more grace it's going to take for you to show them honor. As a pastor here at LifePoint, when people first meet me, when you probably first meet me, I usually feel quite honored simply because of my position. There's a level of respect and value that you give me because of my position on the team here, on the staff team. And I appreciate it because, to be honest, you don't know me. You don't know me from Adam. You've watched me preach. You've seen me online. Maybe do some announcements up on screen. Maybe you've just seen me pray or say a few words up here. But to be honest, you don't know me. 
So honoring me really revolves around my position or what you observe me doing from a distance. But let me be honest. For those who know me, for those who are in my connect groups or the teams that I lead or the, the staff that I'm a part of, it takes them grace to honor me because they know me. Not just the public me, they know the private me. The private me that gets a little bit task-focused sometimes. The pri- that was the staff chuckling right then. The, pri- the private me that can bulldoze an idea rather than negotiate an idea. The private me that at times lacks confidence. The private me that wrestles with character flaws and sin. The private me that makes leadership mistakes. The private me that just at times gets it plain wrong and hurts people. And it takes grace to know someone, faults and warts and all, and still choose to honor them. And that's what Jesus didn't, did with the uh, woman caught in adultery. And there's the mob of angry men surrounding her, ready to throw stones. And Jesus stands right beside her and lifts her up. He knows exactly where she's been and he values her. He respects her in the midst of that angry crowd. It's what God did with the city of Nineveh, this city in the Old Testament that rejected God uh, for such a long time that God wanted to send them a message of grace. And so he asks Jonah, Jonah says, no way. I'm not honoring those guys. They're fruit loops. I'm going the other direction. God turns Jonah around, sends him. Jonah preaches the message and the city gets transformed. God knew Nineveh, yet he honored them. It's what God did with David when he committed adultery and killed the husband. Yet God still honored him even though he knew his own sin. The more you get to know someone, the more grace it's going to require for you to honor them. And honor doesn't mean you agree with them. Honor doesn't mean that you condone their behavior. But honoring does mean that you're going to speak well of them. Honoring does mean you're going to love them. Honoring does mean that you are going to recognize their intrinsic value of who they are as God's creation. You are going to lift them up. You're going to see them as God would see them. And I must confess, I'm so super grateful for the men and women in my life who honor me even though they know me. Because it means I can fly. It means I'm not crushed under the burden of shame and regret and fear and rejection. But instead, their honor allows me to be all that God calls me to be personally and in public. Let me bring one more thought. In verse 5 to 6, Jesus says this. What does it look like in a community where there's dishonor? Jesus couldn't do any more miracles in that place except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. I'm not saying that God and his spirit can't do the miraculous amongst a community where there's an aroma of dishonor. 
even in this place where there's so much dishonor with Jesus, he was able to still heal a few people. His spirit was still moving. God was still doing stuff amongst them. But I think what Jesus is highlighting is if the spirit of God can do this much in an environment of dishonor, what can he do in an environment of honor? If it's only this much where people chat behind the scenes and gossip about somebody, that they lower people, that they disrespect people, that they devalue people, if God can still do something like that over here, what can God do in an environment where people are constantly lifting people up? Where they're inspiring each other to step into faith whispers. If over in this area, they're calling people up. What could God do in an environment like that? And going back to my original question, what would it feel like? What would it be like if Life Point was a place where the culture of honor was our aroma? My hunch, and it's just my hunch, my hunch, it would smell like revival. You can't help but be transformed in an environment like that, yeah? You can't help but see dreams birth in environments like that. You can't help but people want to be among a group of people who honor each other, who respect and lift each other up rather than diss and cut their legs off and do the whole tall poppy syndrome that's so much Australia. That kind of environment is a place where I think lots of people, particularly in today's age, want to be. And why? Because they said up here, simply because he first loved us, that we can choose to love each other. This song we're going to sing now, uh, Lord Bring Revival. I asked them to sing this song uh, for us because I think I want to remind ourselves that revival isn't this untouchable thing out there that will happen in the next generation. It's not just something that we pray about and we hope to hope that one one day it will happen. Revival, I think, begins when God's people submit themselves to what God calls them to be and do and His Spirit breathes life into that obedience and submission. And if today, just us, just 350 of us, it's just us, tweak our lives in such a way that we just begin honouring each other just a bit more. Just turn the heat up just a little bit more on honouring one another. I believe all my heart that we are one step closer to revival of the sunny coast being transformed by the power of the Spirit. So Lord, I just pray over this group of people right now who I know the majority are people who honour. And I pray that you might inspire them to honour even more. But for those of us who struggle at times, who chatter, complain, gossip. For those of us who struggle to find the best in others, maybe because no one found the best in us, I pray you might transform our hearts first, bring revival in us first, change us first. And God, as we're going to pray on Tuesday, I pray you sweep in. You sweep in people into your kingdom. Because we're ready. Your church here at LifePoint is ready. 
We're longing, we're waiting for you to come and do only what you can do. Revive us, revive your church, revive your land. And we ask it because we trust you. In Jesus' name.